dumbing stuff down is really easy for me. So I try to make it as simple as possible without using too many like adjectives and stuff like that and just filling everything up. Because as people are reading, there's mental calories that people are using. And if they use up too many of those, they're going to have de- decision fatigue when it comes to. Oh, that's like, kind of crazy. Yeah. When it comes to asking yeah. for the sale. The Move Entrepreneur Evolved Podcast. Get on it. And we're back with another episode of the Moved Entrepreneur Evolved Podcast. And I'm super excited for our next guest. This episode is brought to you by the Moved 30, moved30.com. You can check it out. It's the transformational program for entrepreneurs looking to step up and level up. Our next guest, what's up, dude? Michael Kelly in the house. How you doing, man? Straight from Florida. Yeah, I'm doing well, man. I'm excited to be here. Excited to have a little chat with you and be able to hopefully provide some value for your listeners. Very cool, man. So first thing, um, I'll go ahead and share Michael Kelly. Um, he builds funnels that convert on cold traffic. And you have a number of 5.8 million generated in two and a half years. So with that statement, I want to see if you remember when this was going on. I am now an assistant manager, one to two months, and I'll be full-time assistant manager with bonuses. Do you remember that? I do not. So this is back in 2015. So some of the stuff that we like to talk about is the evolution of the entrepreneur. And so back in 2015, I, I do my psychopath homework. And <laughs> it, it seems that at that time, were you more in the uh, workforce or were you doing entrepreneurial stuff back then? Oh, back then, um, I was definitely in the workforce. So up until 2014, I was addicted to drugs. Okay. Um, I was pretty much going from job to job. I started selling cannabis just to kind of live and have money since I, the only jobs that would give me a job was like $8 an hour. And you can't really, can't really do much with that. Um, and I believe the post you're referring to actually got a job as an assistant manager, like a dollar tree. And like, that's, that's pretty much where I like that. That's pretty much like the most like important job I had before getting into the entrepreneurial like journey. What a great kind of post into that. What, what were some of those things that were the transformation from what you were doing in your life to then getting something that was anchored in that, you know, in that job, what was the difference? So, um, one day I just got done, I guess you could say getting high and I was sitting there watching YouTube and a Ty Lopez ad hit me, the one here in my garage, we've all seen it before. Um, and just seeing all the books and everything in there, like, I don't know what it was. I I knew I needed to get sober. I knew I needed to get out of doing what I was doing, but I just, I guess I was looking for a sign and I took that as my sign and say probably two or three hours later, I found myself in Barnes and Noble. Um, I was in like the business self-help section, like really trying to like find something that I guess spoke to me. And this one book kept coming up over and over again as I was looking through the shelves Um, And it was Mindset by Carol Dweck. And I was like, you know what? The store is closing. I grabbed that book, went home, started reading a little bit. I'm dyslexic, so I'm not like the fastest reader um, per se. So it did take me a little bit to like get through that. 
Um, but I'd say about Plus 30, the but also the comprehension of probably that trend, just that, like you're, you're trying to think different too, right? Cause yeah. that's a book of like, you're, we need to think differently to get our outcome that we want. Right. So that's cool. Exactly. Very interesting. Yeah. I think, um, how she kind of put it is she had like a lot of sports analogies and stuff like that. So like she talked about Michael Jordan, how he got cut from his ba the basketball team in high school but he still went on to be like yeah, the, great story the yeah. best nba player ever and it really started like making me think like you know just because i'm not good at these things doesn't mean i am always not going to be good at these things i look back on other stuff that i wasn't good at when i first started which i guess you could say um business was one of them like with my finances and stuff like that um, and then being able to kind of like see myself progress through that and know that if I did put in the effort and the necessary action, whether it's like imperfect action or whatever it is, like, it's just, it's all about taking that step forward and doing what you need to do to get to where you want to go. Yeah, I think that's really good. And, and we're going to, we're obviously, we're going to get through this, your copywriter, um, and we'll, we'll get through the other parts too, which I'm excited to talk about, uh, which is ripped AF, which I'm assuming it's ripped as fuck. Is that right? Am I wrong? Yeah. Am I wrong? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, um, you know, as you kind of go through that process and you pick up a book, you saw a Ty Lopez thing. This is a common thing for people entering the internet. These are times when a lot of people, people on the show probably like, Hey, I saw that ad too. The one you're talking about with the Ferrari and the books. <laughs> yep, exactly. That hooked, I think, uh, a whole entire village of people. <laughs> so in that, when you, when you pick that up in that Ty Lopez, then you said mindset, was that the moment that you decided that your own words would have value or when would, when did you start recognizing that you could take words and start to use it for your own benefit? Because kind of the position that you were in, you probably weren't using words to move or manage people. Maybe you were, maybe you were. No. Um, I mean, I, I kind of like had that realization throughout all of it. I wasn't really doing it before. Um, I knew that when it came down to it, everything that I have set my mind to up until that point, that actually was a goal. I have achieved it. Um, but it yeah, but it was really, um, after I was doing, um, after I was reading mindset, I ended up getting audible, started really listening to a lot of audiobooks, like the magic of thinking big, um, over some other ones, thinking grow rich, um, a lot of those types of books. And then that really started like reprogramming my mind. I think about three months after I got the book mindset, I decided to get sober, went back to high school, started from the very beginning. Two years later, finally graduated, uh, went to college for a year, realized like, you know, maybe this college route isn't for me. I knew I wanted to start a business, just didn't know like what direction I wanted to go. So I started real estate investing. Um, had a flip that went completely south. It was supposed to take us three months and about $25,000 to flip it. Um, 12 months later, $65,000 later, it was still on the market and we were still trying to sell it. Um, so that kind of was like, you know, I, I, I want to try to find something that doesn't require that much cash up front and all of that. Um, so was that your first, was that like your first venture of risk? I had, yeah. um, I think there was a comment that you made that I thought was pretty pretty cool 
And um, it, it, you had mentioned, you said, if you, if you can't make it on 100% commission, then you sure as hell will never make it as an entrepreneur. And I was like, that's so true. Yeah. Was that experience one of those, it's, it's, you have to hunt and then eat what you kill. Was that your first experience of that hunt? And then obviously it cost you more money, but hopefully you did sell the property. I don't know the story on it, but eventually, hopefully you got to eat. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd say, I guess selling the cannabis was like the first like yeah. move into that, um, the risk reward ratio and all of that. Uh, but then I knew like getting into this, I was like really like studying hard on different ways to flip properties and stuff like that. I just went into business with two wrong people um, where I was more, yo, let's pay like professionals to come in here and do this. They were more, no, the professionals are going to steal our money. Um, we're not going to do that. So that kind of just went a little bit south and we ended up getting the property sold, but it, we, we didn't end up profiting or anything on that. Well, that's a lesson, isn't it? Right away. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so then, then the transition, what was your, what was your next transition? Cause now you've, you kind of learned the whole thing and you were doing transactions. What, what was your first, um, did you write something for yourself first or did you find yourself finding a client to try to write something and try a skill that you'd learned? Cause that's usually the route that I've seen people. Oh, I found this skill. Let me go swing at it on your money. <laughs> yeah. So I hired a business coach. Um, and he kind of brought me into the whole world of like click funnels, copywriting, running Facebook ads and stuff like that. Um, so I started cold emailing people using his strategy and I ended up finding my first client through that. It was like $70 a month, uh, running his Facebook ads for him for an Indian, um, restaurant. Okay. And I think we ended up getting like 40 or 50 new customers the first month. And I pitched him on increasing that uh, monthly retainer. And he was like, no, we're not doing it. So then I kind of like transitioned and ended up finding another client and kind of going that route. Um, first couple like actual full funnel clients, definitely. I think I was charging like $500 or something like that. Um, they ended up probably breaking even, not my best work at all. Um, I think the one that really kind of like set me apart where I was like, you know what, maybe I, I am kind of good at this. Maybe I should be doing this a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, I, I did something free for an event company that was having Brian Tracy as one of like the keynote speakers and stuff like that. And I think we ended up selling about 50 or hundred tickets or something like that from it. Mm -hmm. Um, but like before that it, it, it wasn't good. Um, at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah. I think, you know, you go into building those things and you build them. I think you brought up something interesting. I thought I would just tap in on it. And this is something I think people, I had to learn this lesson in the switch. And that is that um, a very old school way of doing business is to create your business, go out there and then find those customers, obviously, maybe try to attract them and then try to close them as hard as you can as your only like opportunity to, to, to kind of close them. Like I better get them now, you know? Yep. And then there's the other school that when people are starting businesses now, the one thing that I heard from you, and I think that you would probably add to this as well, is that you went out there and you were willing to do something for so inexpensive and you still did the job. And then you said, okay, I'm going to do it again. Okay. I, I got 500 for it. 
maybe I didn't make any money, but I'm still going to go do the next one again. And I think what you see a lot, and maybe you see this as well, is that people quit because they think like the first thing they do is supposed to give them the accolades to fly them into this next, you know, this next part of business. And so I think from listening to you, that really taps into that, like, you know, with you saying on your tight, you know, you generate $5.8 million and look, you started doing stuff for free. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, the first few things that I've ever done were either super, super cheap or free. Uh, I'd recommend people like not doing the full free route, but getting like a percentage of sales in that just so that way, like it's, it's all performance-based. If you don't perform, you don't get paid anyways. Mm -hmm. And if they were going to pay you a little fee or have you do it for free, like there's a lot more reasons for you to want to do a lot better of a job when you know, you're going to get paid a percentage of what it's actually going to generate. Yeah. 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 I, I think that that's, that's true. So, so you start writing, you place in the, uh, <laughs> You, you start writing, what did you find? What do you find in personalities? I always like to talk this because I haven't had a copywriter on here yet. And I'm always interested because I've hired and worked with a lot of program soft, software writers, things like or software um, programmers, things like that. And there's always personality traits. You know, you get programmers, just put them in a room and literally just leave them in a room. And or um, then you have like designers is like, they got to see things, they got to go to things. Um, but when it comes to copywriters, what are some of those personality traits that come with somebody that is a successful copywriter? I'd say it's, it's the same thing as like the designer where we still have to be somewhat kind of creative, but we're still a lot like analytical, I feel a lot of us are more introverted than extroverted. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's definitely the extroverts out there, but there's a lot of copywriters that are like making their clients hundreds of millions of dollars that you've never heard of before because they, they just don't want to be out in, in public and they just find their best work happens behind closed doors. Mm. And what about you? What's your, what's your take on that? I'm a little bit of both. Um, I have like a love hate with being the center of attention. Um, like I know that it will help grow my brand, grow my business and all of that. Uh, but sometimes I just, I like everybody else, I feel like falls into imposter syndrome where like, yes, I've been able to generate that for my clients, but that like, I still sometimes like fall into, okay, maybe this was a fluke. Uh, maybe I'm not as good as I say I do. I just wrote a VSL. And I'm like, you know, like kind of falling into the imposter syndrome around that. And I sent it over to my team and they're like, dude, this is the best one you've ever written. And it's like, well, <laughs> I think it's just like every new level you get to, I feel like you're, you're going to fight a little bit of that imposter syndrome, but as long as you go back to the basics and like do the techniques that you do to get out of that, then you are just going to continue to move forward and continue to elevate. I think that's really interesting because I think that there's a lot of um, the internet is driven a lot through copy. And so I think that there's a lot of the separations between, and I've gone through this as well is through like, if you do anything like an organic, you know, we, we got to meet through Facebook and things like that. And you go that there's a lot of like um, changing content stories over and over again, and compared to if you do ads, you can actually get a good hook. And then yep. you can move and drive your business this way. Which way do you like between those two? I like the ads uh, just because I've done the whole organic thing and it just 
for me at least, it takes up way too much time where I'm trying to manage a team. I'm trying to like do my own marketing when it comes to the paid stuff. I'm still writing for clients and stuff like that. So I just don't have a lot of extra time where I'm going to sit there and write like five posts a week, record four or five videos a week and just different things like that. So if I can place an ad and I know that it's going to bring in the right people and bring in leads, and I know I can send those leads it over to a salesperson to close them for me, and then we can just keep moving things along. I feel that is going to be a lot easier to scale than me being like the company. Because I was reading this book called Built to Sell. And Mm -hmm. like it's... I think there's too many businesses out there that if you go to sell it, you're going to be stuck running the business for 10 years before you can even exit it. Well, the whoever invests in it kind of starts putting the systems and process in place to kind of remove you from it. So if you can remove yourself from the business and still have it run without you, um, you can get it into a place where let's say I wanted to sell my business in two years and like if I'm the brand and the personal brand behind it, I'm not going to be able to do that as profitably as I would be if it was just the brand. Yeah, I it, I think it's an interesting conversation that we end up having uh, often, and and that is, uh, you can it's I think I found that it is valuable in the beginning to go do that, but you can pull yourself back. And um, I've spoke with business owners that have done that. They go out there and they'll, they'll put their whole face out there. And then basically they'll just start pulling it back. And then you just put icons or a different face on it and then slowly move it backwards. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. How um, in copy, when, when you started writing um, now, kind of looking at the timeline um, as you had found yourself, what was one of the niches that you found? I'm assuming that, you know, ripped as ripped as fuck is a, is, is a workout type thing. <laughs> So in that, um, what was the niche that you had caught first that uh, made you go, this is kind of my thing? I really like working with the coaches, um, whether that's a fitness coach, mindset coach, leadership coach, uh, business coach. Uh, The reason I like to work with them is because the amount of impact that I can make with my unique skill uh, by helping them like reach more people, get Mm. more clients and stuff like that. Uh, that's one of like our biggest, like our big mission at my company is to show up hundred percent every single day and make sure that like we're doing our best for our clients. So that way they can help more people because the more people that they help, the more people we're indirectly helping and just the more impact we can make in the world. So when someone's looking for uh, copywriting and I, I think that this is one of those things I think is uh, it's always open for discussion and I, I buy uh, buying copies, not probably the right word. Hiring for copies, probably the right word. Um, <laughs> but what are some things that people should look for? If you were to hire someone, because the, you know, there is story behind what you sell. There's all those little things to unpack. Um, what are some things that people should look for in a copy, like, you know, someone that's going to write copy for them? Uh, a lot of it is like personality around the person and their work ethic. Um, one thing that we like really do is the, the research side of everything, as well as figuring out like how the brand is actually speaking. So that way, when we write, people aren't going to know the difference between if you were talking versus our copy, because we want to make sure that everything is like in your voice. 
But then we look, go like another layer deeper and we'll send out like a survey to the list before we write anything. What language are they using inside of their answers on the list? Like what's their big desire? What's their number one problem? What's their top three like questions around this and figure out like, how are they saying it? So that way, not only am I talking in your voice, but I'm also talking in the, the end customer's language. So that way it's not just full of industry jargon and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. it's, it's being able to relate with them on a more intimate and personal level. And, and that, is, that is really a voice, right? Because that voice will stay consistent. And if it's with terminology and things like that, and then that's when people know that they're in the right room. Is that right? Exactly. Cool. Very cool. What are some, what are some stories? We've got to dig into some dirt, dude. This is, this is, this is too much good stuff. I want to hear some, I want to, I'm interested in hearing some, uh, some, some copy jobs that you've had that have been quite interesting. <laughs> I had one. Um, that's, that's all we, we needed. That's all we yeah, needed. <laughs> we got, well, he ended up ghosting us, uh, but we finished half the project and then we were waiting for him to get like the VSL and everything filmed. And he just ended up disappearing, wouldn't message us back, like nothing. He paid us for the work. So it's like, what what do we do? But the offer that he was doing is, he was about 60 years old, but he was teaching men how to become sugar daddies and how to like soar sugar babies and, and stuff like that. And he had this whole like course and framework that he created around it and like all this stuff. And I think that's probably like the oddest one we've ever had to like write for. It was fun. Don't get me wrong, but it was say, did you take the course? (laughs) (laughs) It was just, it was super unique. It was like, some out of the box stuff for sure. I finished working for you and now I'm a sugar daddy. Yeah. <laughs> you are who you hang out with. Yeah. Like that is interesting. What were some of the pain points? Where did people want to go? <laughs> so a lot of them were like the nice guy, the kind of awkward and weird. Um, they've tried to walk up to girls in like the club and stuff like that. And they just kind of get laughed at. Um, so just being able to like his product would show them how to like talk to them in a way that doesn't come off as like super weird, um, kind of perverted and stuff like that. Like, I think some of these guys do kind of come off as, um, but it just like, well, I think there's, I think there's two, I think there's, they come off as, and then there is, you, you are. Yeah. (laughs) You are, you are strange. <laughs> yeah, no, like the, the first one, like the first offer was all about like, okay, how do I get that first date? What do I do on the date? And then he had like an upsell offer that was like a, how to use up my bonus present something to ensure that you get laid or something like that. Like, I don't, it was just like a bonus envelope that he would give out. And like, it was, <laughs> yeah. That's great, dude. That's so good. <laughs> but you know what that, I mean, it's all so laughable, but even what's more laughable. And it's, I guess it's not, it's just more mainstream, you know, yep. it's like, 
people have always had weird businesses, right? They're always kind of, but they've always been kind of in the corner. And now the internet has just exposed so many people to go, well, I'm kind of a little different. And there's probably a lot of other people that are different like me. And then yeah. all of a sudden you find these communities that, you know, they, they, yeah, I don't know. We're all weird. I guess there's things that I'm involved in that are probably weird too to some people. But um, you had a, an interesting book that you had talked about. It was a couple of years back. <clears throat> I haven't read it. Um, but I have heard about it, and I was curious to see hear some of your opinion on um, psycho cybernetics. Oh yes, that book was like that really like ingrained the whole visualization of like where I want to go and all of that stuff. Um, I still have like a morning formula where I have like my future vision, future self, and all of that, which is one thing that they talk about in there. Mm. Is like getting like, how do you want your perfect day to be and writing all of that out? Like I get up at six, I do this, 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 um, and almost having it in like 15 minute increments. And then also like writing out what you want your life to be like in the next 10 years, which can seem like a very long, like, like very far away. But as long as you can really like visualize that and visualize who you need to be, in that like motto or whatever um, to get there, then like almost anything is is impossible. Mm hmm. I I liked I like that, and I think one of the things that uh, you know it, it, it can be said is like if you have the courage to see it and you have the courage to like visualize it, then you have the opportunity to actually receive it. And yeah. it's like that's it's so interesting that in the mind where it's like okay, that's what that is. And I've got to try and think about how that would work. If I said that I wanted to own a 50, you know, a hundred floor building here in downtown San Diego. And I just, you put that in your head and in a weird way, some people end up making it there. <laughs> I don't know how that works. Um, one of the things also I'd like to bring up, I think this is more of a interesting thing on copy. And that is the approach that I think, um, is always somebody, people that have, I guess you would say that people have communication skills and in copy is just a communication skill. And in the conversation, I will bring up, uh, you've heard of always be closing in sales. Yeah. You've heard of, okay. Um, one of the things about that, there's the entire transition between always be closing and there's in, in emotional triggers as they go through this. I think that there's it's very interesting because for somebody to do a normal, always be closing, not saying that's the greatest closing technique in today's society. However, there's a formula that basically says you're capturing different pieces of the actual uh, conversation. So usually the old school way of always be closing was after the advertisement. So usually they would show up with you. It wasn't just cold, but then when they get to you, then you start the actual breakdown of the conversation. They would call them icebreakers. And then you kind of go through that. When I share that with you, if you were to try to package that up in uh, sales copy, how would that look? And maybe I can clean that up a little bit. In always be closing, it's, um, you know, um, uh, meet and greet someone and then, you know, find common ground and then sell whatever the company that you're working with, you want to give value to that. And then after that, you want to sell kind of the product and then you kind of go into some features and benefits and then you go in and ask for the sale. So there's like that formula, obviously there's a million pinpoints on it, but I've always been curious to hear somebody from a copywriter that if you were to break that down, 
how would you structure copy in that same way? Or how could people look at copy so that it's not so confusing for them? Yeah, so how I kind of structure copy is almost like gain logic fear. Um, the first, like above the fold is usually around a gain, something that they want. Um, like one of my clients headlines right now is, I believe it's unlock the 700K formula uh, for launching and selling out courses or something like that, which that right there, I, I look at where people are in the awareness journey. So are they on aware, pain aware, product aware, solution aware, or solution aware, product aware, uh, most aware. If they're most aware they've already purchased. If they're unaware, they, they don't even know that they have a pain at all. So what I like to do is because there's a lot of people that are coming, um, they, they're more like product, more about product pain aware. So above the fold, I'll hit the people that are in that awareness level, which that's where I take the gain. Uh, then I go into like, okay, how can I move them through the rest of this awareness journey? So then I'll like go from on, I'll go on aware. And then I'll go to um, problem aware. Then I'll go to product aware. Then I'll go to, or solution aware. Then I'll go to product aware. And I kind of structure the sales page or the opt-in page to guide people through that awareness journey where I'm at every stage, I'm still giving them like calls to actions. If let's say I um, make a claim and then I back that claim up, then I'm going to have a call to action there because that stage right there might be what is going to make them go purchase. But if I don't put a button under that, but I put a button very at the bottom and then all of a sudden they get like, three quarters of the way down, they see one line that they don't like, then they completely leave the page, but they were already sold like at the top of the page where I didn't put a button on that, on that mm. one. Got it. Yeah. I think that there's like, um, and as you do that, if you look at sales pages and things like that, there's certain things like, for example, you've probably heard of Frank Kern, or actually we had Jason Moffat on, if you've heard of J Jason Moffat, um, great copywriter. Um, but, uh, you know, you go in even with guys like Frank Kern and, and, um, he, you know, as obviously copywriter, um, but you'll read his emails and sometimes like, gosh, man, you do sometimes keep it so basic. Yeah. You, you want know, to write like, it. It's usually about a four to six grade reading level is where like that, that's where I find my sweet spot. Um, I'm dyslexic. So like writing anyways, I wouldn't say it's more difficult to me, but dumbing stuff down is really easy for me. So I try to make it as simple as possible without using too many like adjectives and stuff like that and just filling everything up. Because as people are reading, there's mental calories that people are using. And if they use up too many of those, they're going to have de decision fatigue when it comes to... Oh, that's like, kind of crazy. Yeah, when it comes to asking yeah. for the scale. So if you can simplify everything while still making that marketing, like the marketing argument, like as clear as possible on why this product is going to solve this pain for these types of people, then when they go to make that purchase, they're going to be able to like really think through it and make that purchase. And then go through it. I think that um, something that's interesting, and I think that uh, you may may talk about it as well, but it's like once you have this certain skill, you're responsible for for something, right? Because you have the ability to move people, 
And any, any time that I've ever followed copywriters that is a skill set, you always catch this paragraph that always is like, if you learn copywriting, use it for good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you find yourself actually as a copywriter, if there's anybody that is on here and business owner, get better at copywriting. But ultimately, I think that in, a, in, in its own is like speak, someone speaking on stage or someone, you know, shooting a video naturally or whatever that is. I think copy is kind of that same skill set and ability to move people. Um, in, in, in that copy, what do you think it did for you as, as a, even as a business owner, but by doing all these different copies and all these different emotions and all these different things, what is some of that that's maybe kind of, kind of fallen on you, like as a, as a person, as a human, seeing all these different emotions of copy and all that kind of stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I still fall victim to copy like all the time. If I see something in it, like it'll, I, I get sold all day long. Um, but when it like comes down to it, I think like just knowing that if, if I'm writing copy for a product that isn't that great, that's why I always try to test my products or go through it and like really understand it before I ever say yes to a deal. Uh, cause I don't want to write something and persuade someone to go buy something. And then all of a sudden that offer or whatever they're buying doesn't hold up their end of the bargain because then that kind of like defeats the purpose of my mission to like help people instead of, instead I'm pushing them to products that aren't even helping them. Yeah. There's like this moral compass that comes in, right? It's almost this like, okay, I, I better do good. And obviously there's enough out there for you to do it. I mean, I don't know. If, I don't even know if being a good sugar daddy is bad. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not even going to judge that. <laughs> So what started uh, the um, the ripped the ripped as fuck or ripped F A A F? What what started that? Yeah, so I work out all the time, um, and I was with my old business partner, and we just helped a, another like supplement company scale from they're doing like a thousand dollars a month to like fifteen k a month, or we brought them to like fifteen k a month in forty five days. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to kind of start this as a side hobby. Um, haven't really scaled it up too much just because I am like extremely in the day-to-day -day of my agency, but I still have like everything there. So right when I am ready to finally hit the go button, then I, I'm, I'm ready to go with it. Um, we still do promote it a little bit here and there, but just not as much as I would like to. And what's the transformation that you do with that? Essentially, it's just a supplement line. So whey protein, pre-workout, uh, fat burner pills, um, just different things like that. That's cool. And what is it that you liked about the supplement business? I take them myself. So I figured might as well just buy them from my own company and just be able to help other people get matched with the right things that they want to. Plus the whole like community that's involved with a lot of these bigger brands. Um, you mm. can really create like a solid community and foundation and everything around them. What's um, when you get clients that come through and they want to have conversations with you and you want to be the copywriter, what, what are some things for you that you just go, look, I'm not going to, I don't want to touch it. What are some things that you notice? Is it usually the person that you're working with? Is it, you know, it's just too much. Like they haven't gotten enough together. Um, you know, what are some things that you look for as red flags? A lot of it is like, 
I've had a lot of people come to me and they're like, Hey, I want to get to $200,000 a month, but I want to do it with working as like the least amount as possible. And that right there, like is a huge red flag. Cause like yeah. until you're at that 200 K a month where you want to be, and then we can like get everything automated and all of that stuff. There's going to be a lot of work putting in all the assets and everything that you need, like videos, webinars, like all of this stuff, and then perfecting those out. Uh, Cause we might write a video script and we notice that, Hey, it's only converting at 2%. Um, we think that this video script is going to convert at five, six, 7%. Um, let's refilm this one. Then they have to go take the time, refilm that and, and all of that. Um, so I think that that is definitely a huge red flag. Uh, people saying, Hey, um, I only have X amount of money. Um, could you do this for me? And it's like, unfortunately we can't because like, you're going to be paying us to do the entire build out. Like, where's your money that is going to be able to like run traffic to it and stuff like that. So that is definitely another big red flag. If they haven't been running traffic or sold the, like sold the offer before, mm-hmm. um, I take that as a red flag now, just because a lot of them like need a lot of extra support and help when it comes to really like solidifying that offer. And it. It, was, like, it, it takes hours of phone calls to really like nail that down and get everything how it should be to actually like do really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I take that as another red flag as well, at least where I'm at in my stage of the career. Yeah, and, and I was gonna bring that out too. I think that this has always been a question for a lot of people and, and this has been some really good value as well, man. Appreciate it. Um, I, I think that where is it in the alchemist journey do pe- should people find that the, the content writer? Because I think that there's entries to what, what you need as a copywriter. There's different levels of like, hey, I need all this or I need this or I need this to get to the next level. Where, where do you see someone as a business owner going, now's your time? Is there some key components that you look for that you actually say, okay, those are the indicators that say, yes, you're, you're ready to go? Yeah, so it depends on like what the product price is at. Um, but if you're at like a high ticket where you're doing $2,500 to 10K um, per sale, you should be able to, like, if you're at 10 K, you should be hitting at least 30 K a month and be able to bring in at least three organic sales per month. And then we can kind of like sit down and figure out, okay, how can we take this 30 K and make it into 120 K a month? Um, if they're at $2,500 a month, then that they should be at like 10 to 15 K a month in sales that way. If they're doing like a digital, like digital course or anything like that, uh, that can require a copywriter a lot sooner because it's uh, there's going to be a lot less of that organic uh, messaging people like reaching out and doing it that way. Um, so I'd say if they are like a digital offer owner and they have a course that they're looking to launch and stuff like that, um, they they can be making a lot less um, to really like want to hire a copywriter. Yeah, I always I'm always interested on where that ramp is, right? It's like, okay, because there's kind of this part of a business that in the beginning, you do you need to grind out this idea. And almost, you know, you kind of kind of find out too, if you have some grit, Um, you had you had done something I thought was quite interesting. And I'm, I'm always I I like these, and I believe in them 100%. um, Our move 30 is really around it. Um, But you talked about a 30 days of content a little while back. 
And I was interesting, interested to hear uh, what your outcome was from that. And then also some of your philosophies behind people overthinking, um, putting content out there. Yeah. So that was a, that was a couple of years ago. And that's when I was like really big into posting a lot of content. Uh, my business partner or my old business partner, she actually left the company on the first of this year, but she would fly in once a year and we would sit there for like an entire week, just filming different three to five minute videos. Um, then we had like this whole like system that we kind of built out where We'd upload it to the Google Drive. Google Drive would send it to Temi right away. Temi would transcribe it. We'd be able to turn that into posts, infographs, like different things like that, um, which was like a lot easier when it comes down to it. Cause I do think a lot of people like overthink their content and it's a lot easier to batch all of your content in one to three days than it is to like once a week you create three or four videos. Cause then you're like once a week, you're just fucking dreading it. Like you're yeah. just, you're just like, oh my God, today's content day. I do not want to do this, but you pick once a month, you have 75% less of those days every single month because you only have one, like one day film everything, get everything out to, if you have somebody editing it and different things like that. So I'd yeah. say if you can do it like at the first of the month and get everything going that way, that would probably be the best. Yeah, it's always interesting because content's a very, it, it's, it's one of these things that we're all striving for. And, and a lot of people are just reverb, recreating the way that they're saying it. It's just like this, this huge turn, turn of events. What was um, going kind of through business in general? What, what have you enjoyed about being in business for yourself? And, you know, maybe what, what are some lessons that you've learned that, um, that you've kind of carried through? I'd say the time freedom, um, depending on how many projects we have going. <laughs> um, but I'd say the thing that I learned is making sure that you do have the systems and processes in place. So that way, when you do bring on employees and you start to grow and all of that, all of that is kind of like, like an assembly line ran where mm -hmm. if somebody comes in, they're a new um, employee they go through the onboarding system. They're going to know exactly how the company operates, what our missions are, like everything. Uh, I didn't have any of that in place, um, say probably six months ago. And everything was kind of all over the place. Deadlines weren't hit as well as they should be when I started bringing on copywriters. Um, last year, I had about 12 team members. Mm -hmm. And I think the one thing that I wouldn't do again is scale my team extremely fast. Um, I really figure out who I need at that moment and start bringing people in. It, it is good to bring people in before you actually need them. So that way they're trained in on how everything works. But when you try to like, it was just me and my business partner and we brought in, I think seven or eight employees within two months. And well, that's it was a lot just, of onboarding, man. It's a yeah, lot of personalities onboarding, uh, like training them, making sure that they knew our systems and like all of that stuff. And it was really overwhelming and I ended up getting burnt out yeah. like super, super fast. So I'd say like, don't hire a lot of, like if you have the team and the, the on like people that can train them in and all of that and the support there, then hire as many people as you can, as long as you're scaling with it. 
Um, but if it's if you're a small business and you're just getting ready to start scaling, then just be cautious with how many people you're bringing on at a time and just make sure you have those SOPs in place. So that way, like when they do come in, they, they know exactly they can get indoctrinated into your brand and how you do things. That's an interesting point. Um, I heard Mark Cuban say one time, and he was like, if I hire someone, their job is to remove the stress and time from my life. That's what they're there for. And I like when he had said it one time, I was like, you're absolutely right. That is what it's for. And so like, even hearing what you're saying, and, and I I'm victim to this too, you know, I've overhired and then I'm like, uh Oh, like, did I just, did I push everything out too far? <laughs> you know, cause it's stretched now. And so you're not touching the business as much because you're kind of trying to get these people to you know, hang out on your boat. Yeah. That's really, that's, that's interesting. And um, now you've got that all squared away. Yes. <laughs> never, never perfect. <laughs> yep. And what I've kind of done over the last six months is I've raised my prices and also put in like an equity deal in there as well. So that way, like with the equity deal, we manage their emails, their SMSs, we'll do conversion rate optimization, all of that stuff. But with raising our prices, we bring in less clients, still hit our revenue goals, but we're able to really focus on the clients that we do have instead of what we were doing before is like, okay, how many funnels can we build this year? Uh, let's try to build as many as possible. And I just, I didn't find that as fulfilling as actually being able to come in, give the attention to detail that our clients need and really like focus on generating them the best results that we can generate them. That's awesome, man. Well, Michael, dude, this has been awesome. Ton of value and super. I've just enjoyed the whole conversation. Where can they find you? You can find me. I'm mostly active on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash. I believe it's Michael Kelly official. Uh, I believe that's, that's my little at tag. Uh, But that's, that's literally where I am pretty much most of the day. <laughs> That's cool, man. Well, this has been awesome, man. I appreciate you being on the podcast. This has just been an, opposite, an awesome episode. You guys can always go back and rewind it. Thanks a lot, man, for being a guest on the Moved Entrepreneur Evolved podcast. Thanks a lot, brother. Thank you for having me here, man. Dude, this is awesome. All right. That ends another episode of the Moved Entrepreneur Evolved podcast. Go back and look at other episodes. We brought up Jason Moffat earlier, another great episode about a copywriter. Go ahead and dig in, subscribe, and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks a lot. If you like this episode, make sure you smash the like button and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just like Nike is to athletes, Moved is to entrepreneurs.